Romans 8, verse 18. These are God's words. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Even before verse 18 begins to compare suffering and glory, uh, which has been brought up by verse 17, uh, because you remember as the Spirit uh, agrees with us and testifies on our behalf and to us that we are God's children and the Father bequeaths his estate upon us, uh, takes us in as his heirs and wills to us uh, that which is greatest of all, namely the knowledge of himself and of, uh, and of his Son by his Spirit. And as uh, therefore the Son takes us to be joint heirs with himself, because that's his rightful inheritance, uh, and we are joined to him uh, in that, praise God. Uh, and so that brought up what else we do together with Jesus. Uh, yes, we inherit together with him, uh, but we suffer first together with him, and we will be glorified together with him. Those three uh, joint actions, joint ventures uh, that we have with our Lord in union with him. And that's what has brought up uh, glory and suffering, those last two joint ventures, or suffering and glory, to put them in the correct order. But even before we get uh, to the sufferings of the present time not being worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, uh, we have a very important beginning uh, to the verse, for I consider, for I consider. Uh, and this word for considering is a very important word. Uh, it is most uh, often, well, not maybe most often, uh, but most importantly, most famously used in the book of Romans for imputation, God reckoning Abraham righteous through faith, uh, God reckoning his faith for righteousness by accounting Christ to him by that faith. Uh, and we too are to be those who consider, who count, who calculate uh, this uh, will help you, dear ones, not to be a victim of your suffering, not to be controlled by your suffering, uh, that you would be one who calculates your suffering correctly. You uh, assign to it the proper place and the proper value. You understand how big it is comparatively and what it is doing. Uh, and uh, often in the scripture, the Lord uh, calls us to consider or think about or make a judgment. Uh, he uh, instructs and commands that we would use our intellect. And here's a blessed use of our intellect, uh, that we would make calculations about the suffering that we go through in the present time, putting it in its right place in connection with what the Lord is doing, putting it in its right place 
in connection with our being united to the Lord Jesus and adopted by the Father and indwelt by his Spirit, putting our suffering in its place with right doctrine. Uh, So the apostle is modeling that for us right off the bat when he says, for I consider. And this is something that uh, the scripture teaches us to do in several places. Uh, It teaches us, uh, for instance, to bless the Lord. Uh, Oh, my soul, Psalm 103, we give our soul that instruction. Forget none of his benefits. And in the middle of that psalm, of course, the God considers us like a father. He knows our frame. He knows what we're like, that we're like the grass that comes up in the morning and, uh, and withers in the evening. Uh, and so we take the truth and we, uh, we command and instruct ourselves in light of that truth. Uh, similarly, in Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so discouraged? Hope now in God, I will yet praise him. And importantly then, in both of those psalms, if you followed Psalm 103 all the way through, you have not just the instruction to your own soul to bless the Lord, uh, but the, the, as you go towards the end of Psalm 103, we're joining the heavenly hosts. We're joining all of his servants. We're joining all his creatures in all places. Uh, this is where it is all going. Uh, suffering is a pit stop on, uh, on the way, but the destination is uh, blessing the Lord with all of creation and our whole heart. Well, same thing in Psalm 42, uh, where the psalmist uh, is struggling, battling with his own despair, uh, and, uh, and he's questioning the validity of his feelings, something we're not taught to do by the world, but praise God, we're taught to do it by the Lord. Uh, our feelings get out of kilter. Uh, they, uh, they are often incorrect. And so we ask ourselves, is this right? Is, uh, is this what we should be doing in light of all the data? Have you considered the big picture? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so discouraged? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Uh, at the time in Psalm 42 and 43, although it applies to all sorts of suffering, his particular suffering is that he's not able to gather with the people of God. He's not able to, to go and uh, experience. And sometimes there are those who, uh, for a season, uh, even, as, uh, even as we confess, uh, there are those who, for a season, the, uh, the Lord withdraws the sense of his presence and gives us to overrule our feelings with good doctrine. And so, the, uh, and so the apostle here is doing the same thing as the psalmist, isn't he? He's taking the present sufferings and he is reckoning or considering or accounting or imputing to them their proper place and their, uh, their proper quantity, their proper value in the big picture. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And what that means for you is that this is not just a, uh, an intellectual exercise. 
This is not just data that you listen to and agree with and then store away. Uh, and if, uh, if you ever have a question about suffering again uh, or the glory that is to be revealed again, you just go to your data bank and pull it out. No, this is something that you, uh, you need to be acting upon. Uh, you need to be uh, employing this truth that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Uh, and so as we think about this tonight, as we prepare to reckon our sufferings, to put them in their place, uh, we do so under these three headings. Uh, one, the suffering of the present time. Uh, right there uh, in the passage, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time. Uh, and the second, uh, the second main heading, glory, the glory of the future time. Uh, they are not worthy uh, to be compared, to stand with, or are just unworthy. They are dwarfed by comparison with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And that glory which shall be revealed in us, uh, that is directly connected to the suffering or a suffering of past time. Uh, the glory that we had despised, the glory of which we had fallen short, and therefore the glory of the one who had to atone for our sin. Uh, there, has been, there has been a suffering that uh, can be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us, but it's not the suffering that we go through in the present time. Uh, and so we seek to consider or to think about uh, this verse on considering uh, under those three heads. Uh, the first thing really comes out of verse 17 from last week. Uh, that as the Spirit, and then we considered the Father just going in the order of the text there, uh, and then the Son applying our adoption to us, uh, and the Son doing that by bringing us into union with himself, by bringing us into a shared life, a shared experience with himself. Uh, one of my uh, favorite things is weddings and uh, as an elder, uh, I am to love and honor marriage, as we've seen from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and Hebrews 13. It is a marvelous thing uh, when a man takes uh, a bride, his bride, to be bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, uh, and that the, they are no longer two, but one. Uh, and the, the type, the great reality uh, of which marriage is a picture, that is the reason that marriage is designed to be that way, is because this is what our Lord Jesus has done with us. Uh, and many of us have uh, with, uh, with our wife, if we've been married for some time. We have memories from those early years of our marriage, or maybe not even early years. Maybe it was something that came along later, something that we went through together, that no one in their right mind would ever enjoy the substance of the thing that they went through. It was a trial or a suffering, uh, and yet they are for the, the one 
who has that union, uh, those sweet times when we went through things together. Uh, And so verse 17 has described our suffering together with the Lord Jesus Christ, which sweetens the suffering to us, that we go through it with the Lord Jesus. He is, uh, as we're going to hear under the third heading, an experienced sufferer. Uh, And so uh, it's not just sweet that it's something that we go through in fellowship with him, uh, but it's strengthening. Uh, Not only has he suffered well and is an example to us and sympathizes with us and we go through our suffering with him uh, but uh, he also strengthens us uh, you remember uh, in the verse actually that uh, by which we were invited on the lord's day morning to uh, to receive jesus as our true adam and our true abraham and our true david uh, with his own words come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he talks about his yoke being easy and his burden light. Uh, well, the reason his yoke is easy and his burden is light is because he's the one on the other side of the yoke. And we get yoked together with him. Uh, some of you children have tried to lift something very heavy. And dad has uh, come with you. He's put his hands on it with you and, um, and he has started to lift it and you're lifting with all your might uh, and uh, yet for all practical purposes, dad is doing all the lifting, isn't he? You can feel the weight uh, of, of what you are trying to carry, but the reason you can carry it is really dad is carrying it with you. Well, the analogy breaks down. The Lord Jesus is the one who gives us even our own strength for for our part. But what can you not bear? What can you not carry when the Lord Jesus is the one who is carrying it with you? And so even if our suffering in the present time could be so great as the glory of God, uh, the Lord Jesus could carry even that and you yoked in with him could carry even that for you have the Lord Jesus as your co-sufferer your joint sufferer and so we are strengthened not just as our suffering sweetened to us by our union with Christ but we are strengthened in the midst of our suffering we're strengthened uh, to be able to bear it by union with Christ Uh, and then of course there's implied here not just that it is sweetened to us not just that we are strengthened in it but that it's not useless it's not pointless it's something that uh, as we're going to get on in the chapter and God working all things together for good and his uh, predest- uh, foreknowing and predestining and calling and giving us all things together with Christ um, we know that not one pang, not one moment of, uh, of agony of the Christian is wasted because it is producing in us that glory which shall be revealed. We already thought about that, didn't we, uh, back in chapter 5 when we rejoiced uh, not only in the hope of the glory of God, but also we gloried in tribulations. Uh, and there it was 
the perseverance and the character, and then the hope, the knowledge that these tribulations are bringing us into that glory, and they must because God loves us. And they come also in the same love that gave us Jesus. And you remember the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of God in our hearts so that we would continuously know alongside with what we're experiencing in our suffering, it comes to me from the same love that gave me Jesus. And now the love is making me to be like Jesus and he will not fail. How great is his love for me. Very similar then to James chapter 1 when we consider it pure joy when we suffer many trials of many kinds because of what God is using them to do in us. They are sanctifying sufferings and they're also service sufferings. Sufferings that we get to do in union with Christ. Uh, Would the Lord ever assign to his son? Would God ever assign to his son? a useless, unprofitable, unnecessary suffering? And the answer, of course, is of course not. Everything that we do in union with Jesus Christ, jointly with Jesus Christ, uh, has its purpose from God. So that's the suffering of the present time. We haven't even compared it yet to the glory that is coming or the suffering of the past. Uh, But how the Lord blesses us to know that it comes in union with Christ. Well, in the second place, then, the glory of the future time. The glory of the future time. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, this is holy ground If the Lord had not done this, first of all, and then told us about it, second of all, uh, it would be a, a, a blasphemy to say the glory of God will be revealed in me. It is one thing to say we are made in the image of God. It is one thing to say we bring God glory. But the Lord Jesus, his son, is the one who is the brightness of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature. And as we're about to hear in a few verses, he is the one to whom God predestined that we would be conformed. And it was our being predestined to be conformed to him that made it absolutely certain that that must end up with those whom he foreknew, he glorified. Yes, there's predestination and there's calling and there's justification along the way. But this is that glory that the creation is longing to see that Lord willing and Lord sparing us, helping us, we'll hear about next week. The very glory of Christ will be displayed not only in Christ, but in his bride. This is what he has devoted himself to do Isn't that what Ephesians 5 tells us? That he loved her and gave himself up for her, that is his church, his bride. Uh, Not just that she would be forgiven. The forgiving is necessary, but it's necessary unto the cleansing and the removal of every spot, every wrinkle. 
because he has devoted himself. He has given himself up, not just once for all on the cross, but continually. Isn't that what the Bible teaches you? That your Redeemer didn't just on that one day devote himself in that glorious way that we will praise him with, uh, with all of heaven forever, for you redeemed us by your blood. What a glorious day it was, but he has continued devoting himself for us. He always lives to intercede for us. Even now as he sits on the throne of glory and his father uh, is giving him and making his enemies to be a footstool under his feet. What is he doing? Interceding for us, pleading the merits of his sacrifice on our behalf, applying his salvation to us by his spirit and always acting as uh, not just our priest, but in the words uh, of Ephesians 5, a devoted husband who will not rest until he sees his wife every bit as glorious as he is with respect to his humanity. Here, Jesus is a divine person with a fully human nature, and we will not become divine persons, but our human nature will be made fully like his. Oh, we're looking so forward, aren't we, to leaving this world, to leaving the body of this death behind, to having a perfected soul like the Lord Jesus' that doesn't just desire perfectly, and we don't even desire perfectly, but the desire that he's given us, we keep failing to fulfill. You remember, we're not too far from that, but we will one day desire perfectly, continuously, and we will fulfill that desire with a 100% success rate, and we will only ever love God entirely with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, and we won't be susceptible to any weakness from within, and we won't be uh, subjected to any attack from without. There will be no sorrow. There will be no suffering. There will be no sin. There will never again be another intrusive or distracting thought that would turn our attention for a moment from loving God and loving uh, uh, everything that he has made, and especially those whom he made in his image and redeemed in his Son. And not only will we have the Father of lights from whom continuously comes down every good and perfect gift, but we will be children of light from whom continuously comes up every good and perfect homage and love and honor and praise to our God and goes out every righteous desire and every righteous thought and every righteous uh, judgment and, uh, and speech and action. And that's just half of the glory because we'll be glorified in our bodies at the resurrection. Our bodies will be made like unto his glorious body. The very glory of Christ, who himself is the display of the very glory of God, and not just revealed to us. That's what we had sinned against. 
isn't it? Back in chapter 1, the wrath of God revealed against all the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. And what is our chief unrighteousness? That although we could see that there is a glory, glorious God, we refused to glorify him or give him thanks. But not only will his glory be revealed to us, it will be revealed in us. So that one of the reasons why the environmentalists will uh, never achieve success in their idolatry is because the creation has been bound. It's been shackled in a corruption and decay that it is not allowed to leave until it participates in the glorious freedom of the children of God. And it can't wait to see what we will be like. That's the picture in next week's passage. And it should ravish our hearts as well that we would desire, that we would not be able to wait to see what we will be like. Now, if our sufferings had appeared uh, smaller, had been put in their place by their being sweetened by union with Christ and are strengthened in them to carry them yoked in with Christ and their sanctifying purpose for us and the opportunity to serve God in the midst of them and by use of them. And how much more even now they are put in their place by being set up next to the glory of the future time when Jesus returns in all his glory and his bride perfectly reflects all of that glory. And this is what God has planned for you you begin to understand, don't you, why John's heart is about to burst as he writes First uh, John 3. He says, behold, look, consider, if you will. But it's a, it's a viewing word. Behold, what manner of love the Father has shown to us that we would be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And it has not yet appeared what we Uh, what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And those who have this hope, what do they do? They purify themselves as he is pure. They're just so eager for the glory. Well, the suffering of the present time put in its place just by virtue of union with Christ the glory of the future time, putting it further into its place. Finally, the suffering of the past time, referring specifically to the suffering of the Lord Jesus on the cross. You see, our suffering is not atoning, although it is in God's providence to us, sanctifying, helps to make us holy. But there was suffering great enough to be atoning. Ours couldn't ever have atoned because what we had fallen short of was the glory of God. You know know that you are guilty when you sin and God, by by helping your conscience to to be healthy and respond rightly to sin, uh, you feel ashamed and dread uh, and you feel the dread and uh, perhaps even uh, you, you feel the greatness of God's wrath uh, against that sin. But we must only always 
fly to the cross. We must not say things like, oh Lord, you know my heart, you know I meant well. Or, um, uh, but it's so hard or uh, I'll really do better this time. or um, It's not a wrong desire, but we must fly to the cross for atonement. Because not only did we fall short of the glory of God, but that was in order, if you remember back to chapter 3, verse 23, and then verse 25, that was in order that when Jesus died on the cross for us, he would be exhibited using that courtroom language of bringing out your evidence. He would be exhibited as a propitiation. What does that mean? He would be exhibited as, as someone whose suffering is as great as the glory of which we have fallen short. So then as one famous uh, preacher um, said, and perhaps others before him, it was as if the Father is saying, and we say it reverently, worshiping, my son is at least as glorious as I am. but it was the greatness of his glory, his divine personhood that was necessary so that he might suffer more than not just any man, but a world of men in an eternity of time could suffer. This is the greatness of the suffering of the Lord Jesus. This is why foolish films like Mel Gibson's passion film uh, are not just offensive to God uh, for uh, making visual displays of him who is a divine person. In both of his natures, he's a divine person. But you simply cannot put on film the greatness of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it was infinitely greater than the physical suffering and it was infinitely greater than the shame. He was propitiating the wrath of God for us. His suffering was as big as God's glory. And that was your suffering too, wasn't it? If you've believed in Jesus Christ, that's how your sins were paid for. You're united to him in it. You receive all the benefits of it, but you never experience the, the smallest particle of it, do you? Jesus bore it all. All of it. He's a very experienced sufferer, isn't he? And how? How did he get through his suffering? Well, dear Christian, just the way the apostles teaching us to here, for the joy set before him, he despised the shame. He counted the suffering of the cross as not worthy to be compared to the joy that was set before him. The joy of vindicating his father's righteousness and displaying his father's steadfast love. God demonstrates his love and in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this is love, that Jesus 
died for us and that the Father gave him. You have both of those in consecutive chapters in 1 John. And so take the lead. Take the lead of your Savior who's yoked in with you, with whom you are jointly suffering in all of your suffering, and learn from him. Learn from him to count the joy. And for the joy set before you of enjoying his glory and reflecting his glory and having his glory revealed in you. Put your suffering in its place. In and of itself, it is not light and momentary. Understand. But you don't have the suffering in and of itself. You have it in Christ. And you have it from and with him. So let him take the lead. And let us reckon, let us calculate our suffering not to be compared to the glory and the joy that is set before us. Amen.